This is a Baby Brunch podcast. Baby Brunch, the parenting series, is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control. And that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth, we let you be you. The question is, is there a doctor in the house? Well, we have one, and he's a pediatrician. Today, we have the privilege to also chat to Dr. Enrico Mariskin. He's a pediatrician who's been in private practice for 25 years. His aim is to keep children healthy and for all of us to have a well baby. And he's journeyed with children through their childhood. And today, we have the privilege to speak to him. Doctor, I'm going to start with my first question that relates to COVID and South Africa. How different is it having a baby before COVID hit South Africa to now that we are aware of COVID-19? Well, firstly, thanks for inviting me on your program, Alana, and thanks for the kind introduction. Yes, changed dramatically, and funny enough, what we're finding out is that things are changing minute by minute. Fortunately, uh, in previous times uh, when we had children who were fully immunized. We had everybody involved in the baby's birth. We had the dads, we had uncles and grandfathers and uh, all the kids arriving, a very social event. I mean, we even had one of the babies that was born and that was uh, broadcast to the grandparents Mm -hmm. uh, on a boat in the Mediterranean. So a very social event. Now, with what's gone down over the last few weeks, uh, that has changed absolutely and completely. Because, you know, we have a lot of uh, problems. We have people who are COVID positive. We have a lot of people who are now uh, what we call asymptomatic uh, carriers who are spreading the virus without even knowing that they're doing it because they're actually well while they have it. And so extreme precautions have had to be uh, instituted over the last few weeks. So uh, now having a baby under these COVID conditions, uh, we have to, uh, you know, take care of everybody. And it's not only taking care of the baby and the mother and the father and all the extended family, but also for the healthcare professionals. That's become Mm -hmm. a very big issue just of late. And so it's actually isolated the moms because um, what we've had to do in our clinic, uh, we've had to firstly try and keep all the moms apart so that we're not placing any particular mom or child at risk. Over and above that, uh, the dads, uh, we were previously allowing the dads to sleep with the mom and then uh, the ones that were visiting were only allowed to visit an hour a day. Uh, However, we've had to stop the dads staying as well. So we've gone on lockdown and we only had the dads coming in for an hour a day, which uh, what researchers are saying is that if the dad's involved in the breastfeeding, the breastfeeding is more uh, successful. So uh, it's a very negative thing that we've had to do. But nonetheless, we've had to clamp down. Uh, I mean, just coming to the point of, uh, you know, when a mom has a Caesar, what's going to happen with a Caesar? So we'd have to ask like three different theaters. So when we've had the opportunity to check a mom and uh, see if she's COVID positive or negative, if they're COVID positive and they need a Caesar, they will go to the COVID positive theater. If we've had the opportunity to check the mom and do two tests and find out that she's negative, then she would be able to go to uh, a COVID negative theater. And if the dad has been shown to be negative, then he may be able to come into the into the theater uh, and share the experience. If mom comes in and the theater is in, uh, and the an emergency seizure and she's required to have this done without delay, 
then she may go to the COVID theatre, which is uh, intermediate, where you don't know if the patient is COVID positive or negative. So all in all, it's become a very clinical thing. And um, unfortunately, the world has been learning day by day. And through the good media that's out there, I think the public is also educating itself day by day. Uh, which in my mind is also a good thing because an informed public uh, leads to better outcomes. But uh, yeah, we're in a very difficult situation. Do you think at this time we will have more sick babies? So, I mean, even after lockdown, COVID-19 now exists. Do you think our children will be more ill and they'll be visiting our doctors and pediatricians more often? So what's happened in my private practice, um, I think what really keeps us ticking over as doctors is the fact that we are all in communication with one another. This is uh, pre-lockdown. And uh, we transmit bugs to each other all day, every day, even if I'm consulting with a patient in front of me. Uh, you know, we exchange bugs before they even leave my consult and they're only here for 15 minutes. So that has kept us busy in the past. So what's happened since the lockdown, especially since the children have been taken out of school, they're not in contact with so many people. I mean, I, I think on average, your little child is in contact with uh, between 50 and 100 people every day. And if you exchange bugs with 50 or 100 people, of course you're going to get ill. During this lockdown period where the kids have been away from school, and they've been at home, not in contact with other ill people. We've actually seen a huge reduction in number of ill people, ill children. Doctors' rooms have been quiet. Look, there may be the other flip coin of that. The other side of the coin might be that, um, you know, parents might be too scared to go to the doctor's room. But at a certain point, if the child's ill enough, you will present at mm-hmm. the doctor's rooms. So the fact that they're not presenting, I'd, uh, I think they are better off at present. However, in the last week or two, We've seen a huge number of people who are asymptomatic carriers and they are out in the community and they're transferring the, they're transmitting the bug. So at the beginning of, of, of just prior to the shutdown when, when President Ramaphosa declared the shutdown, uh, I was scared that given two or three weeks we were going to get the same state that, that Italy and, and, and America are at. But I think they've done an excellent job with this shutdown. We, we're not transmitting the bug, but now that we've got these asymptomatic carriers in the community, I think it's almost like the, the animals are released, being released out of the cages and they're in the community and uh, now we're going to start seeing cases. I think we're going to see a lot more cases than we anticipated. I'm, I'm just scared that going forward in the next two to three weeks we're going to see a bit of an avalanche of the number of cases that are going to be presenting to the doctors. What are the symptoms in children and babies and have you treated any? So I haven't personally had any COVID-positive uh, patients, but I have been involved in situations where we've had to, you know, be part of a, a shutdown process to prevent transmission from uh, patient to patient or from care worker to patient or the other way around. Fortunately, I haven't. I w- would hope, I thought by now I would have been one of the people that would have seen a case, but I'm very fortunate not, have, not having seen a case, and I hope it stays that way for a long time to come, because that would be the good news. But with the small babies, if they're going to start getting ill, uh, the, the, the telltale signs uh, would be that they might have a, a temperature, 
they might start feeding poorly. They might have decreased urine output. Crying and crying inconsolably has been something that's been documented. When they do have a fever, it may be difficult to control with your regular medications. You know, parents know what to do with fevers. And if they try those usual measures, they may not work. And then I think, you know, once things really fall apart, uh, we will see that there will be a shortness of breath uh, due to a, a continuous cough, uh, which ultimately leads, leads to difficulty in breathing, which then may ultimately require the child uh, having oxygen or being admitted. So luckily, overseas, we haven't seen too many pediatric problems, but uh, they are there. And in fact, there are also some very serious complications. So I don't want to underplay the fact that children overseas, yes, there's a large number of them that get well quickly, but there are also those that will uh, be very ill and uh, will require admission to hospital. Is it worth doing this winter period, I mean, most of us are hearing that the flu vaccine is available and uh, the other day I wondered, would it even be effective? Do we still vaccinate? Do we still go out and get a flu vaccine or do we wait for them to find a solution to COVID-19? Well, there's a dictum in the line uh, regarding the flu shot and, uh, and it says uh, never too late to get a flu shot. And, uh, you know, there's always this banter between academics as to who gets it and who doesn't get it. Certainly high-risk individuals uh, who have chronic illnesses uh, should all have the flu vaccine on a yearly basis. I think the whole aim of what we've tried to achieve uh, under these COVID uh, conditions is as many people who can get the flu shot should have it. And the rationale behind that is that you know, you, you don't really want to have a flu and then get hit with the COVID virus because I think the healthier you are and if you are the unlucky one that does get the COVID virus, you want to be in best shape to fight it off. And uh, so, look, I've always been a big protagonist of the flu vaccine and, and um, uh, the, the more people have it, the better. And this year especially because you want to be in ship, ship, top shape uh, should you be the unlucky one uh, to get the COVID uh, infection. The other thing is it's not only important to do the flu shot. Uh, one extra point about the flu shot is that all pregnant women should have the flu shot. That should uh, go without saying. And uh, all your other vaccines need to be up to date. So one of the fears that the epidemiologists have had is that, um, you know, if you have COVID, it's one thing, but if you have COVID plus whooping cough, that's a disaster. Mm. And so uh, the immunization um, programs are very important. And I saw some reports of concerns in certain African countries where, uh, you know, due to this whole lockdown, there may be problems with getting our regular schedule done and uh, then we may have an outbreak of COVID plus, uh, you know, whooping cough or polio or uh, meningitis. The, the number of vaccines you give are, are, are many and that prevent lots of illnesses. Um, so under COVID conditions, we don't want comorbidities and we don't want extra illnesses that mm. uh, don't need to be uh, suffered at the same time as the COVID. See, so now that's one point that I haven't even thought of or considered, Doctor, that one can have COVID-19 and then still have one of the other illnesses that we, we do inject for, that we get vaccinations for. I want to ask, because this is not one of the questions I, I initially gave to you, but can you be reinfected with COVID-19? So let's say you've contracted it, you have now recovered. Can you get it again? Well, there have been cases that are described where a person gets this COVID, uh, they get over it, they get into that recovery phase, given another two, two, one to three weeks, and they ill again. 
Uh, I'd suspect that might be a infection. Uh, you know, we, we, unfortunately, this is a new animal, so we, we're trying to find out about it. So more recently, there's a serology test. So we all know about the nasal swab test where we look for pieces of the genetic material uh, of COVID uh, and identify it. But uh, there are also antibody tests that have, uh, have been developed. And the question is, you know, if we analyze your blood, uh, and we find that there are antibodies in the blood, does that actually mean that you've got you know, immunity? And if you do have immunity, is it for a couple of weeks? Is it for a couple of years? Mm-hmm. Is it lifelong? Uh, so these are all questions that um, scientists are analyzing at, at a rate. And I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed at the rate that they can do these things. You know, in, in the good old days, uh, Maybe when communication between countries wasn't so good, this would have taken five years to achieve. Whereas now, you know, given a couple of weeks, these guys are already on top of it, which is very impressive. If I have coronavirus and I want to breastfeed my baby, who's a well baby, how do I do that? So there have been two. Uh, uh, there, there are two philosophies, uh, and it seems to be the American and Chinese philosophy, and then the European philosophy, uh, which uh, emanates from the Italian experience. So the American and the Chinese uh, philosophy is: if, if you don't know if the mother has COVID or not, uh, you would separate the mom and child until such time as you uh, know uh, whether she's COVID positive or not but still encouraging um, expressing of breast milk under very hygienic conditions and still giving the breast milk to the baby. And then the other side is the Italian come European recommendation where they, uh, even if the mother is positive, they keep the, the children together with the mom and they apply all the hygiene principles that uh, our president has uh, eloquently uh, shown on TV on multiple occasions, mm-hmm. you know, hand washing, wearing a mask, maybe wearing gloves. If you do sneeze, not to sneeze onto the baby. Uh, I think if you interact with the baby, the mask would be very important, mm-hmm. you know, over and above all the other hygiene practices that are needed. Uh, one thing that I haven't come across in the literature is whether you should uh, maybe just wash your breasts with a bit of soapy water prior mm. to the uh, breast, uh, either whether you're expressing with a, with a breast pump or whether you're breastfeeding the baby. I would recommend that you wash uh, your breasts with a bit of soapy water prior to latching baby or prior to expressing with an expressing machine. Dr. Moriskin, this, I have to say, has been one of the craziest, insightful chats that I've had. I know that you are in your practice at the moment, busy delivering babies during this very interesting time. So we wish you and everyone else who's taking care of South Africa and our children only the best because there are caregivers and volunteers and doctors and nurses who are putting their own lives at risk to make sure that we are fine. So thank you for your time. I cannot thank you enough for for being available for us and we wish you only the best. Thank you very much. And if I could just say thanks to everybody who has stayed at home and who's heeded our president's uh, request. Uh, our economy is going to suffer, but we're going to work on it. Um, you know, we have survived many adversities in South Africa, and we're all still here telling the tale. So be strong. Keep our fellow citizens in mind when we do things so that we keep everybody safe. And let's pray that we don't get hit by this uh, COVID tidal wave. 
Baby Brunch, the parenting series, is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control. And that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth. We let you be you.